0: This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. All right, open in your Bibles. You know what? Now open up to John, the Gospel according to John, chapter 8. And we are in the midst of of the teaching on biblical examples of redemption subtitling this God is a redeeming God now I set out with this simple goal in mind I've repeated it and I don't mind repeating it again all I want you to know is God that God is a redeeming God because that is who he is no matter the season no matter the times Seasons do come and seasons go, but God stays the same. Challenges arise. Sometimes the victory is obvious. Sometimes it's not so obvious, but in all those times, God is still a redeeming God. In the times when the economy is up, he's a redeeming God. In the time when the economy is down, he's a redeeming God. In the time when everybody loves you, he's a redeeming God. In the time when everybody abandons you, He's a redeeming God. You know, so I don't care what's going on. You just need to have this in mind. This is what I believe David understood after he had counted Israel. And the prophet said, you know what, God's going to give you a choice. And David said, you know what, the one choice that I'm going to choose is put me in the hands of God. Because I know who he is. Hallelujah. And that's all I want you to know, God, even as David knew God. God is a Redeeming God. And remember the motivation, the reason why we're able to teach this, the reason why we're able to say this at all, because God loves. God is a loving God. People get confused. People don't understand that in the midst of trying times, God didn't do it. He's not. He's not the problem. Can I say it that way? that God really is not the problem? You know we are the problem See, when we talk about redemption, remember we said redemption means to restore. Now you can look it up in the in the dictionary and'm I'm sure I'm sure it says something to the effect that redemption means pay to secure the release, and it is true that that is what that means, but in the hands of God, God is in the restoring business. Why does God want to restore because man is out of position? Man is out of place. Man is not where God intended man to be. Man right now is under the bondage of sin. And that is... That's the problem. That's the trouble. You know, people want to talk about natural disasters and give God the credit. But I'll have you to know, this earth... Is polluted with sin. I'll have you know, when we talk about in this life, there will be troubles. Why will there be troubles in this life? Because this life has been touched by sin. Your individual life has been touched by sin. And there are... Here's the thing about sin. Sin impacts everybody. So we're all impacted in one way, shape, form, or another. You want to talk about the coronavirus? I... You know... I'm not even going there with some people who want to say it's their fault. It's their fault. What I hear when when people say that is, like, who crucified Jesus? We all did by our sin. If there had been no transgression, there would be no need for the shedding of blood. But the earth has been put into turmoil. This is why the earth moans, groans, for the redemption. (laughs) Because in the restoring of man, the earth itself will be restored. And it won't be in the pains that it's going through right now. But through the midst of all of these things that are going on, natural disasters are the lack thereof. God is a redeeming God. And you need to know that. He is working on, first of all, restoring you. This is a personal matter. He wants to restore you. Because you, just like everybody else, has been a victim of the bondage of sin. So God wants to restore. Remember, this redemption comes out of and is associated with the born again experience. And I can't emphasize this enough to you. We started there in John chapter three. We talked about Nicodemus, the Pharisee who came to Jesus by night and said to Jesus, we know. Okay, I'm just going to admit it. We know. We might fight hard to say that that you're not from God, but we know you must come from God because no man can do the things that you do except God be with him. And then Jesus said, "Well, well, let me show you something. You think you understand something, you don't understand anything at all. Because unless a man is born again, you can't experience the kingdom of God. You can just talk about it, but you can't experience it. So I can't emphasize this enough to you. Whoever you are watching, the key is not going to church. And you ought to go to church. The key is not reading your Bible and you ought to read your Bible. The key is being born again. For when that day comes, then the day one day will come. This is why I tell you the born again experience is not for all time. Because there's a day coming when there will be no more, as Jesus said. He said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Because there's a night coming when no man can work. That means when the opportunity to be born again is no longer available. And at that time, when you must answer before God who has always been a redeeming God, he's not going to ask you about your church attendance. He's not really going to ask you about your church membership. (laughs) Uh, He's going to ask, where's your name? See, because there's a name. There's there's a book with names therein. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And all those... hmm, Saved and born-again individuals names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And I want to tell you, you have no reason to be afraid of the born-again experience. The born-again experience is rich. It is an experience that those in the Old Testament did not have the opportunity to receive. This is why I want to tell you, you know, the the term born-again itself literally means to be born from above. It means you'll be born of God's Spirit. But not only that, I told you it means more than just what it's defined as. It means God is good. And the more we look into it, the more we realize how good God is. You know how good God is? He's better than your bad. See, And he's, he says it this way in the scriptures. I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Meaning, boy, if I wasn't a redeeming God, what kind of trouble would you be in? But he remains faithful. That's why I tell you, there's no measure of your unfaithfulness that goes beyond the faithfulness of God. You see, that's why I say it means God is good. When you sit down and you can drown yourself in the knowledge of the things that you've done that were wrong. But his goodness far exceeds. That he is so good. His goodness is greater than the combined sins of the whole world throughout all time. So he's opened up a door. No matter what you've done, you can enter to this door to be born again. And you'll find there that God is good. You'll find there salvation. You'll find there wholeness. You'll find there regeneration. The good thing about regeneration is that I don't want to be who I used to be. And God says, come on and be born again and you won't be who you used to be. At least not in my book. Not in my eyes. Other people may remind you and tell you stories of, don't you remember? But you're like, well, but God's giving me a new name. See, that's regeneration. See, in the born-again experience, old things are past. They're gone. All things have become new. God's not reminding you of what you used to be. Because in the born-again experience, it doesn't count. To be born again... Also means to be washed. Oh, I love that term. I, I just love it. Just just to think about it. It's a washing that you just can't put words to. It's a washing on the inside. It, it's a cleanliness of the soul. It's a cleanliness on the inside. And I'm telling you, when you're clean on the inside, you can sleep. <laughs> See, this is why you can understand the more we look into the born-again experience, the more we recognize and understand that the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's righteousness. It's peace. It's joy. Uh, See, to be born again also means to be justified. It means you have been declared innocent from all charges. And who declared you innocent? The judge. (laughs) And so when the judge has said you're innocent, guess what? You're innocent. Uh, Jesus puts it this way. Him whom the Son makes free... It's free indeed. See, all this comes with a born-again experience. And it also comes with redemption. To be redeemed means to be restored. God is putting you, placing you in a position where He originally intended for you to be. Think of it this way. He did not create you to be apart from Him. It's just like us. We don't have children so that our children run away and never come home again. Never talk to us. Never visit us. We're not in their mind. Not in their thoughts. They don't care for us. See, see we all are, to that extent, children of Adam, who is the son of God. We're his children. And he didn't have children so that we would be apart from him. So again, I tell you, to be redeemed means to be restored when it comes to God. And I want to make sure you understand this. Let's keep moving forward because I've got places to get to and we'll get to it as we go forward. But I told you, redemption is of God, and that's a wonderful thing, people. That is a wonderful thing. Redemption is of God, which is, I told you, this means three things in my mind. It means that redemption is on God's standard and not man's standard. And man is so fickle. Man is ever-changing standard. Let me tell you this right now. This is this is, this is to those who well, those of you who have a lot of followers. How How about that? That's the Modern day vernacular. Those of you who have lots of followers. Superstars in your own right. by Whatever the right it is. Here's the world standard. They'll love you while they love you. But when they find out they don't need to, they won't. See, see when you do them good, say what they want you to say. Do what they want you to do. They're fine with that. But say one thing outside of what they accept as normal. And see how quickly they turn on you. That's the world. It it amazes me. Everyone comes up and thinks they're going to be the, the brand new superstar. No, they're going to always love me. I'm always going to be appreciated. No, no, no. That's the world standard that you're living on. And here's the thing about the world standard. You've got to please the world. So as long as you please them, as long as you make them money, you're all right with them. Let me tell you, you might be the best employee in that place. But as soon as your productivity comes down, you find out how much they really loved you. But redemption is on God's standard and not man's. Redemption is God alone redeems. And I love it. I really do love this. This means your redemption is not in the determinate hands of fickle man. Because man will turn their back on you and never go back. They would close the door on you and swear you off. But I heard God. God said, I so love the world. The world? Uh, Remember who the world is? The world is you and everybody you don't like. That's the world. The stuff that makes you, people who do things that make, that disgust you. That is the world. He loves them all. And that's a hard thing to imagine. But this is why we need to understand that redemption is of God. (laughs) Which means it's His design. It's His design. Here's the thing about this. I want you to understand this. Ooh, this, this is hard to hold on to. This really is. But think of the worst person you can think of the worst person, the meanest, the vilest, the nastiest. Don't you know within you lies that same potential to be that same individual? How different are you from them? Hmm. I don't know, but here's the thing. God has included all under sin. So he has to love everybody or not love anybody. (laughs) And I want to pause right there for all you church folk. For all you holy rollers. For all you saved and sanctified. Filled with the Holy Ghost. Don't forget where you came from. But you were washed. You were justified. You were sanctified. How? By the love of God. See, see, see God alone redeems. Which means, it's His design. It's His desire. Wow, see, you desire to cut people off. God is desiring to bring them in. It's His desire. It's not... Mans, Oh, and if it was, how many people would be shut out? But there is none who is excluded from the opportunity. It's his design. It's his desire, and it is his work. I can't emphasize this enough to you people. This is one of the most glorious things that you can come to the realization of. It is his work, which means he doesn't need your help. He doesn't need your effort. He does it by himself. This is what we call grace. I love that scripture. First Corinthians 15, For all things are of God. Have you, have you figured that out in this teaching how much I love that scripture? All things are of God. What in the world does that mean? That means what we have, we only have because God did it. All things are of God who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. So so understand, this: God alone redeems and redemption is a person. And it's God himself through Jesus Christ. Now, now these two merge together because the thing about if God alone redeems, that means he does all the work. Let me tell you this. Let me make sure you understand this. Grace is not the absence of works. What did that brother say? Did he just blaspheme? No, grace is not without works. It's not the absence of works. It's the absence of your works. It's the absence of your effort. But there's effort behind grace. There's work behind grace. But we find in that scripture, all things are of God. Oh, this is awesome to me. This is so awesome. It had to be a person. Why did it have to be a person? Because God's standard does not change. And he and sin don't get along. He loves you, but he does not love the sin. And as long as you are connected with the sin, there can be no relationship. See, this this is... Parents, you need to learn a thing from God. See, God stands His ground. Now it's like there's no repairing of anything while you're still given to the sin. So here's what God had to do. Wow, this is awesome. God had to make sure the payment of sin was made while at the same time reconciling with you who committed the sin. So here's what he did. He had to find someone who could pay the price. And someone would say, I could pay the price. No, you can't because your blood is tainted. Sin is on your account. (laughs) Nothing from nothing leaves nothing. And you got to have something if you want to please God. And so God, it says in the scriptures, God looked down to earth and said, is there anybody who understands? Is there anybody who seeks after me? And he says, there's nobody. So if payment has got to be made, who's going to pay it? i got to send somebody from the throne. So Christ came from the Father. Put on Flesh. Endured what the Bible says, a great contradiction of sinners. Oh, how he loves us. You know, Texas is all right to live in. I'm going to tell you that right now. I I like my Texas. But it's hot. And in the midst of the heat, when I got a home with my air conditioning on, why would I go out to the midst of the heat when I don't have to? Jesus was comfortable in his room. But you know why he had to come from the Father? Because it's the Father's love that motivates the work of redemption. Redemption is of God, people. And I'm so glad it is. I'm so glad. It's on his standard, not man's. He alone redeems and redemption had to come in a person. And it was God himself by Jesus Christ. He did all the work. And now he says, now that I've done all the work, I don't need your effort. I just want your heart to be toward me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe, what does it mean to believe? It means to embrace fully with your heart. It means accept it as truth. I'm sorry, accept it as your truth. It's got to be yours. And that's all you have. No effort, but all things are of God. He's done it all. This is why I tell you, redemption is the miraculous, merciful, gracious, move of God to put you in the right place with Him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You're in John chapter 8. Turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Keep your ribbon in John chapter 8. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Verse number 5 and 6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. Oh, do you hear that? You know what I hear when I read the scripture? I hear Genesis. When Jacob saw a ladder. There's a bridge between God and man. There's a ladder between God and man. And that bridge is the Lord Jesus Christ. For there's one God and one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all for all for all all means all it's an amazing thing to me how great this love is that he is willing to shed his blood for those he knows in the end would reject him he gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time see That's redemption. That's the payment of redemption. He didn't put it in the hands of men. There's only one that could bridge the gap. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a wonderful, miraculous, marvelous thing. That God himself would come and save God himself will come and deliver all so that you might have life. What a love. Turn back to John chapter 8. Now the last time we were together we talked about a biblical example of redemption in Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19 and Zacchaeus I hope was somewhat of a comfort to those of you who might be in Zacchaeus's shoes in some way, shape, or form wanting to see Jesus but finding it hard because there's a press. But I want you to know when your heart is open toward him, he sees you. He sees you. It doesn't matter the press. <laughs> and what happens is once he has your heart, I said it, th- it this way last time, the heart that is toward him will not allow there to be an absence of evidence. It, He's not looking for your works. Because remember, redemption is of God. He alone redeems. He does all the work. He just wants you to receive it. But once you receive it, here's the way I see it. Once you have received the love, you can't help but to respond. I think about this every so often when I teach. I don't know why I think about this when I teach. but I had uh, a young friend uh, back in high school. We knew each other going into college. And uh, I remember her and she had a boyfriend but there was this other boy that was always around her and always wanting to give her gifts you know and, and me and her were talking we had the conversation before and she was like I told him I got a boyfriend and I'm not leaving my boyfriend but he's still just he's just going to do what he does and, like, and she's like okay you know, I don't have any issue with that but as long as he knows where he stands what he, what he is wanting is he wants to give his love but he's not seeing a return on his love and he's patiently waiting until she sees that his love is what she wants. And he'll know, or he wouldn't know, I don't know whatever happened with that. But he would know once she responds. <laughs> so that relationship wasn't going any further until there was a response. So Zacchaeus like responded because he received the love of Christ. And it came out of his mouth as he believed he spoke. In other words, when you believe, you ought to let somebody know. You ought to let others know. Uh, no, I can't do that anymore because I, I I belong to Christ. What? You're a Christian? Well, no, no, well, well whatever you want to say, I'm born again. However <laughs> you want to say, I'm born again. You know, I, I just can't do those things that I, I used to do. And, and make sure you understand this about they all. You know, time is slipping away from me. This and is such a shame. Hey, uh, but I made a commitment. I'm going to take my time. Um... I want you to understand this about they all. Because remember, one of the key characters were they all. Too often there's a they all in churches. And I want to make sure you understand this. I thought I explained it, but maybe I didn't. And so I'll say it this way. If there are 1,000 of us in the press, no doubt we're not all 1,000, they all. Probably there might be five who make up they all. I I don't know. I'm just putting out there a number. But you see how we shouldn't be identified or defined by the few. But all we know about the press in Zacchaeus' episode is they all. And so as a ministry, it's our responsibility to not be defined by they all. Not saying that they all are not out there. And the best way we can do what we need to do to not be defined by they all is to be the believers we're supposed to be. It's to have the mind of Christ who saw everybody in the press but had eyes for Zacchaeus. So we have to be that individually. Now, what I want you to understand about they all because they all would hear something like that and still be off balance. Because the love of God still has a standard. Oh, did you hear me? The love of God still has a standard. And so you can't tell me that you love God, but there's an absence of evidence. Oh, did you hear me? Did you understand that? You see, because someone will play you. And they'll play you to see if you are a they all. Because here's the thing about they all. This is what I, I don't think people quite understood. They all are off in their communication. In their syncing with God. They are, oh my, god, how, how do I say this? They're spiritually slow. They confuse worldly love with godly love. Jesus was approached by what the Bible says a rich young ruler who said, you know what? I want to be in your group. (laughs) So what good thing must I do? And Jesus listed it out for him. He said, I did all these things. And the Bible says Jesus looked on him and loved him. What was that love? Bring him to conviction. But those who are off sync with God would hear a message like that and think that someone who refuses to respond to conviction is someone to be received. No, there's someone to be loved. There is a difference. And so they all just can't get God right. See, they want to be the ones who say the wrong things at the wrong time. That's they all. And this puts a responsibility on those of you who are spiritual. Amen. You know, I don't want to go here, but, but especially in this time, you know, the essential work of this ministry is restore this generation. And if that's the case, there will be no restoration of this generation if those who are spiritual do not stand up. Do not behave themselves and give themselves off. As examples, you can't sit on the sideline. They need to be taught. You should know how God flows. And they're looking to you to show them. And when you're silent, they're left to themselves and they could become a day on. I just want to review real quickly, Zacchaeus, but I thought that there might have been some things missed misunderstood. Because again, making sure others that in that episode, while Jesus was loving, they were murmuring. They, they were talking loud enough that they could hear one another, but so that not anybody else could hear them. This is why I tell you th- these are those people who will smile in the preacher's face. Tell them how good a message it was. But then they go murmur. They go talk. I wasn't moved. But they're spiritually all sync with God. Didn't even understand And that somebody got saved. Somebody got restored. Somebody got washed. Somebody got justified. And they're sitting up there talking about who got washed. Who got cleansed. Who got justified. Let it not be us. Are you with me? So, let's look at this other example we have here in John chapter 8. Hopefully you kept your... Ribbon there, but John chapter eight, this is a, a passage that many a churchgoer is familiar with. And if you will just just hear it, just hear it. So let's start in John the Gospel according to John chapter eight. Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman, taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now, Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? Now, we're going to keep moving forward with this, but those of you who are familiar with this, in the end of this, it really doesn't show, and that's why I need you to stay with me on this, because we're looking at biblical examples of redemption. When you look at this, in the end of it, it, it's not obvious that she's saved or redeemed. You hear me? It's not obvious that she's saved or redeemed. And so, in this, some people will say, well, I really don't see uh, redemption here. Remember, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Stay with me. God was, in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Now, how did God reconcile the world to himself? That reference to God reconciling the world to himself is seen in four ways. It's seen in Christ's life. It is seen in Christ's sacrifice, that is, his death. It is seen in his burial And it is seen in his resurrection. In those four, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. When we think about, when we read over in 1 Timothy chapter 2, and when it talks about Christ gave himself a ransom for all, many people see that alone as redemption. But no, redemption is before the sacrifice, before his death, there was the life. And in the life, we'll see God being a redeeming God. Why? Because Jesus put it this way. When the disciple said, show us the Father. And it's suffice. Jesus said, no, 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 no. You're just waiting for the resurrection, huh? No, no, first there must be the life. Have I been so long with you? Have I not lived and shown you in my life? And in my example, that God is a redeeming God. And so in this, we may not see the death, the burial, and the resurrection, but we do see his life. I just want to show you this. Keep your ribbon there in John chapter 8. And turn to Jeremiah chapter 50. I just want you to see this. Because I also gave you, you know, I've, I've, <clears throat> for the most part we stuck in the New Testament. But I want to show you, God has always been a redeeming God. <laughs> He's always been a redeeming God. There's just a special door open in this day called the born again experience. That comes along with redemption. Wow, if you, can, if you can think of it this way. It's like all the power of God that was revealed in the Old Testament at different times. Is all put together in the born again experience. Jeremiah chapter 50. See, because one of the scriptures I gave you was in Isaiah chapter 1. God said, come, let us reason together. See, that's God being a redeeming God. He's saying, no, no, let's reconcile. There has been something between me and you that is out of kilter. It is out of the way. I want to put it back in the way. I want to put it back right. See, that's God speaking from a redeeming position. In Jeremiah chapter 50, verse... 34 here he is talking to a people in captivity and he wants them to know whether they're in captivity or not he's still the same God he was when they were out of captivity now that they're in captivity verse 34 their redeemer is strong the lord of hosts is his name do you see that he was he was telling them back at that time you need to know me I'm a redeeming God. Yeah, it might be bad right now. (laughs) Yeah, you might be in a bad position right now. Yeah, you might be in captivity right now. Yeah, you might be bound by sin right now. But I need you to understand, there's a redeeming God. And the Lord of hosts is His name. See, that's an example. But He's always been a redeeming God. Now in this day, He's a redeeming God. And now we need to understand what that means to us. So, back in John chapter 8, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst. So, so here we are. (coughs) Now we're being introduced to our first characters in this. Obviously, Jesus. Excuse me. Obviously, Jesus is a central character here. But then, comes in the scribes and the Pharisees. These are the accusers. As Jesus will call them later on in this passage of Scripture. Now, we spent some time, just a little time, talking about Pharisees when we introduced Nicodemus to you. And you remember, the Pharisees were influencers of their day. Uh, and I want to remind you, as we talk about the scribes, and just mention a little bit about the scribes as much as, as I can. I, I don't know uh, enough. I, I, can, I can just say this uh, to begin with. Understand this. Uh, when you read the Bible, it ain't American culture. You know, I, I said that my best American. It ain't American culture. It is not American culture. It is so vastly different than American culture. It's 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 obviously hard to explain, at least from from where I'm, I'm so Americanized that it's hard to explain and grasp this. But in their culture, at this time, they are under Roman rule. And even though they're under Roman rule, the nation of Israel is centered around its God-given religion. So it's a religious-based society. The Pharisees, they would be somewhat like our politicians today, but they're not. That's just the best way we can give it to explain it to you. So they're influencers of their day. They're the popular group of their day. But they're also here mentioned the scribes. Now it's very interesting because the scribes, Pharisees, when you say it this way, Pharisees were introduced to in the New Testament. We don't find them in the Old Testament. don't find the Sadducees in the Old Testament. But scribes, they've been around. Ezra was already scribe. And he was a priest. If you search the Old Testament, scribes were, scribes were not only in the nation of Israel, scribes were in other nations as well. And we typically associate scribes with, can I say it this way, secretaries? But no, that's not who they were. (laughs) They weren't secretaries. They were, uh, if you can understand, they were educated men. They were, in their time, they're associated, for instance, Ezra. I believe one of the reasons why it says Ezra was a ready scribe is because when they brought to him the law, not everybody could read. He was educated. Not only that, those who could read, they couldn't necessarily make out the language. See, because Esther came after they were in captivity. And so a lot of things have changed. And so these scribes are educated. They are very scholarly. If you will, they are the academia of their time. Now, I will say this, as far as I can see, again I have to look up some more history on this but the scribes in this day under Roman rule not the same scribes that were in the Old Testament it had changed okay? but doubtless the scribes were indispensable in the Jewish society and scribes pretty much I'll say were everywhere scribes were essential they were indispensable in Jewish society why? because of the knowledge that they had they were teachers not preachers they were teachers, especially of the Torah, of the law, and of that which they associated with the law, and with the revelation of the law. So no doubt, scribes were, again, I, I, it's not American culture, okay? They would be the teachers of their day. I say it this way. You know how teachers of our day are indispensable? Have you found that out during the pandemic? Oh my goodness, teachers are important. We need teachers. Uh, they needed scribes. But scribes are not teachers like that. If you will, scribes... hmm. The Pharisees may have been the influencers, but behind every Pharisee there was a scribe that taught them. Sadducees were another group who believed a little bit different than the Pharisees, but there were scribes behind the Sadducees. Every priest probably had a scribe associated with them. So the scribes were throughout the society. And I say this to this extent. If anybody knows the law, because remember the Pharisees prided themselves in what they knew, what they knew more than other people. These people who bring this woman to Jesus, they know the law. In fact, it is believed the scribes were, a lot of times they were members of the Sanhedrin. They were the law of the time. And so here we have these who are supposed to know the law, these that the people of Israel looked to for direction. So again, verse number one, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives and early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people came unto him and he sat down and taught them and the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. So we have the scribes and the Pharisees, people who are supposed to know the law. And they brought to him a woman taken in adultery. Now, understand this. She's taken in the act. Amen? She's taken in the act. The act of adultery. Okay? So, what happened is, remember, this is a religious-centered society. The law had been broken. And she was caught in the act of breaking the law. She had witnesses to her sin. And I want you to know this, whether or not you have witnesses to your sin, don't you know your sin still counts? Well, they don't know, but your sin still counts what an individual knows or doesn't know doesn't really count because what you do is you sin against God. And where are you going to hide it from God? <laughs> you can't. So whether or not you have witnesses to what it is you've done you're just as guilty as she. I didn't hear too many amens on that one and I don't trust that, I, that too many people were saying amen but you're just as guilty as she. Whether it was found out or not, whether there were witnesses and Jesus is around so that accusers could bring you in the midst of Jesus' teaching, your sin still counts. No one may have the evidence they need to accuse you. But just because you're not caught doesn't mean your sin doesn't count. This is personal. You may not have others around you know, but somebody knows. God knows. And and I'll I'll admit, some people don't care that God knows. Others have been taught well. (laughs) Amen. Mamas and daddies, you keep on teaching. You keep on bringing conviction. That there be a God consciousness in your children. That if they were to do something that were contrary to the will of God, though there's no evidence that anyone could bring to accuse them, but don't you know there's an accuser of the brethren? There's the enemy. And here's the amazing thing about about it. You know, I don't believe the enemy is. How do you say it? I don't believe the enemy has that kind of supernatural power, but he just watches you closely. (laughs) They did something, God. I know it. They're not walking the same way they used to walk. They're not looking the same way. They're avoiding people. You must have done something. But God knows. So don't be thrown off thinking, I'm glad I'm not in her position. Yeah, but God still knows. So here they are. The scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. (laughs) Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? So here they are, the accusers. And what do they want? They want justice according to the law for her sin. Now, I will say this. There is a person that has not been brought that obviously must have been involved. I don't know what he paid them. I don't know what he had on them. But she did not commit adultery by herself. Amen. And I don't know where this man was. (laughs) But he's probably sweating bullets right now praying. You know, he didn't pray before he committed adultery. But after she was caught and brought before people, he'd sweating bullets thinking, I hope she don't talk. See, that's what sin does to you. (laughs) See, See, now you understand the bondage of sin. See, there's a bondage of sin means that you can't stop. And then not only can you not stop, then there's shame and guilt. Fear associated with your sin. So so there's another character here who doesn't show up, and it's the man. And what happened to the man? He was not brought to task by the accusers, but his sin still counts. (laughs) Amen. His sin still counts. Sin addressed may not be reported in the papers. But you're the one who has to live with the weight of your sin. Wow, I I, I understand this, okay? understand this. Sin is going to be addressed. Sin is going to be addressed. If sin is not addressed, God is not in the house. And when sin is addressed, someone may not have brought you before the accusers, but the weight of your sin ought to weigh you down. And eventually it's going to be up to you on what you're going to do about that sin. Wow, this, this, to me this is, I know I won't have time to get into this in deep, but we're going to get into some doctrinal teaching. Jesus, I don't know here, to me it's like the fewest words Jesus could say to open up a whole section of doctrine. <laughs> but he's going to deal with sin because the law is going to bring out sin. It's going to bring out sin. And here we have these people who know the law bringing one guilty of sin and bringing them before Jesus and saying, you know what the law says, Jesus? Verse 4. They say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. I love this. Now, I I know many people have conjectured about what Jesus wrote. It doesn't say, so I'm not going to go there. But what I do see is it's like here they are and we're going to bring them in the midst and make sure that Jesus can't miss them making sure that Jesus can't miss her. or oh, we're going to interrupt his program and he's going to have to pay attention to us. So they bring this woman caught in the very act of adultery, explain the situation, and they explain where they're coming from. See, because we're scribes and Pharisees. And we know the law. And the law says, the law of Moses, you know how they brought up Moses? <laughs> See, Moses is not us. It's Moses. Moses wrote this. And so they bring her in the midst and Jesus is like, And you, you know that must have frustrated them. Like, man, don't you hear us? Come on, come on. What, what's he doing now? He, he's playing like, we 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 went through all this work to catch her, and I, it probably was entrapment. Anyway, I'll leave that alone. <laughs> they probably knew where to find her. They do all this, make sure they caught her in the act, bring her where there's people there, Jesus there, and they make their statement and they say oh no he's got to say something now and he ignores them you know what this makes me think of he's probably thinking in his mind if you know the law and you're justified by the law why bring it to me see you're playing games <laughs> and here's the thing about when you play games with Jesus you won't win <laughs> no he's a master gamesman, and he don't play <laughs> so when he wins it's going to be a victory and you're going to know you got beat so here they're, they're playing games with Jesus and Jesus is like you don't want none of this <laughs> you really don't now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned but what sayest thou oh that's right hmm, 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 hmm. this they said tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. Now, they bring up the law. Let me... Yeah, with the little time we have. Keep your ribbon there. Turn to Deuteronomy. Here we go. Chapter, uh, I believe it's 21. Deuteronomy chapter 21. Okay. Okay, now i we'll, Now I'm playing Deuteronomy chapter 21. I'm sorry, make it chapter 22. Deuteronomy chapter 22. Verse 22. if a man be found lying with a woman married to an husband then they shall both of them die <laughs> both the man that lay with the woman and the woman so shalt thou put away evil from Israel uh, do you hear that if a man be found lying with a woman married to an husband then they shall both of them die it was a death sentence on the both of them. and I, you know, I don't know how she can be caught in the very act and the man get away and she get caught. Whatever. But the law does state that death is the penalty. <laughs> that, that is the way it's supposed to go. Death is the penalty for violating that. My goodness. Amen. You know, they're a religious-based society. But, but let me tell you this. People are people. She wasn't the only one committing adultery. The one she was committing adultery he wasn't. He wasn't the only one either. It was rampant throughout the society. Israel was polluted. <laughs> they weren't keeping the law anyway. Wow, which is unfortunate. Ooh, this, this, we're going to get to this. We won't get to it today. But here's the thing about it: if you're going to see when you present the law like that, you're boasting in the law. And when you're boasting in the law. You are indebted to do all of the law. And if you do not do all of the law, you're guilty. So those who are accusing her have to be debtors to do all the law. But let me tell you, the law had been broken by more than just this woman. Look at this in Leviticus chapter 20. Leviticus chapter 20. And for those of you who are sweating right now, you ought to sweat. But thank God, there is grace. Jesus paid for this. A price has been paid. A ransom has been made. <laughs> Leviticus chapter 20. Verse 10. And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. It is written in the law. Caught in adultery. Among other things. Here's the issue. Why was the law given? Because God and sin don't get along. And so the law was given so that they might know the things that offend God. And so they're right to be offended by sin. Okay? But you know, they're messing with the wrong brother. Oh. Let me say this. Okay, so I really don't have time to get into this, but he is going... Here's where they're coming from. They're coming from a knowledge of the law. Jesus is going to speak from the truth of the law. Amen. See, some of us have knowledge but don't have the truth. And when you have the truth, it's all good. (laughs) How do I say this? I want to say this real quick and move on back to John John chapter 8. Verse 1 again, Jesus went into the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees had brought unto him a woman, taken in adultery, and when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? They said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. Do you understand they're accusing him? What what do they want him to do? They want him to affirm the law. And then have him on record as saying the death penalty for this woman. Then they would have to accuse him that he ain't for you. And if he lets off the hook... Then he'll be guilty of violating the law of Moses. And then they'll say he ain't for Moses. They're playing with the wrong brother. Let me tell you this, though. They caught him on the wrong day. Because this is the day that the Lord has made. This is the Oh, my goodness. I don't have time for this. Oh, I don't have time for this. But let me explain this to you. The born-again experience was not in the time when Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. The born-again experience is not here when this woman taken in the act of adultery is brought before Jesus. But I want, to, I want to let you know, it's as if there's a door. And behind that door is the born-again experience. He's at the threshold. The day is dawning. The day is coming in. He's very nigh unto that ransom being paid. And that door of the born again experience be opening up. So they thought they caught him, but they caught him on the wrong day. I'm out of time. But God is faithful. And he is a redeeming God. (laughs) Hallelujah. I'm telling you, it is such a privilege. It is such an honor to be able to handle the word of God and to extol our God and to lift up by word. You know, you don't need songs. You just need all things are of God. And find out what things are of God. And when you see him, then you recognize, God, you are good. (laughs) That's why we sing. He is the melody of our songs. He is the phrase. He is the lyrics. He's all of that. He's the beauty of holiness. You know, I like what he said to Zacchaeus. Make haste. Don't waste time. God in this, and this is really, this is all I want to do. I want those of you who are not where you're supposed to be recognized. There's a God who's a redeeming God who has not changed, who has made space for you Take advantage of the time and the opportunity. Because He's a faithful God. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.